Several weeks ago when Pastor Eric asked me to speak on Father's Day, I jumped at the chance. Uh, he and Andy are away uh, spending some time with family on vacation. Um, I, I've ne- I never preached a Father's Day sermon before, and I thought, man, I really want to do that. And so I said, yes, I'll do that. And then I started to think about what I would say and what I shouldn't say, and the different kinds of people in the room, and, and all of these kinds. And I thought, what in the world was I saying yes for? Uh, he really knows how to pick a week to be away. That's a smart man right there. Uh, a lot of landmines uh, related to Father's Day, uh, things, because there are so many different people, even in a room like today. Um, not all of you are fathers. Uh, we have men who would like to be fathers that aren't. We have men that have difficult relationships with their children. We have uh, women who are obviously not fathers in the room. And so, you know, how do I speak to everybody and, uh, and address this topic? Well, uh, if you're a dad in the congregation this morning, happy Father's Day. Uh, you get 12 hours um, of church, which you're here for. That's good. You got to grill. That's important. You've got to grill on Father's Day. That's a requirement. And then whatever else you do, hopefully you get some time to enjoy with your family. To all the moms in the room, uh, I'm sorry to inform you that this is the end of Mother's Day. So... Teenagers, if you are here, I want to encourage you to resist a tendency we all have. and Do not grade your fathers on the things that I'm going to talk about this morning. Rather, I want to encourage you to see the challenges they face and ask yourself a question. Do I make it harder or easier for my father to fulfill his role that God has given him. Uh, It is incumbent upon children to honor their fathers. That says that in Ephesians. We'll turn there in not too uh, a few minutes. But uh, pray for them, that they would be worthy of the honor that you are supposed to give to them. Now, if I see any men leaving the uh, service this morning, holding their sides, that's because they've been sitting too close to you wives and you've... uh, So please, wives, please resist the urge to do that. What I have to say can apply to you in large measure today as well. If you're a grandparent in the room this morning, um, I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. Um, But I am a father-in-law now, and I'm learning how to do that. Um, Anna and her husband, Adam, have been married now two years And uh, it's a great joy to fill that role as well. Uh, My grandmother passed away in May. And uh, I lived most of my life out of state from her. Uh, But for most of my life, my grandparents have had a a tremendous impact on my life from a distance. So that can happen as well. Uh, Let's stop and consider for just a minute the state of things in our culture. Uh, With radical feminism taking over such large parts of the media and academia and the corporate worlds, we now have terms that are very common in our world, like 
toxic masculinity, mansplaining, and misogyny, uh, the patriarchy that, uh, and these words are, of course, used not so much to describe anything as they are used to shame and control and manipulate and marginalize men. And I add to this the blurring of the lines between the sexes and the redefinition of terms related to gender. And you have a hot mess. We really do in our country today. Uh, we have a generation of young males growing up not even knowing what they should be growing up to become. 96% of the population of inmates in American prisons are male. 96%. Uh, men now compose barely 40% of America's enrolled college students, and the trend is still downward. I read a, a couple of weeks ago in the Washington Post that uh, bastion of conservative news that's a joke. Uh, the, reason, the reason for that, they were kind of exploring the reasons for that downward trend in academia. And this uh, kind of this liberal-leaning news organization, this paper, uh, pointed out that the, the liberalism and the, the things that have defined higher education uh, have become so apparent to so many people, it's not even hidden anymore, it's, it's out there in the open, that men are actually deciding not to go be a part of that and deciding more and more to just go join the trades. And colleges are worried that male enrollment could dip to less than 30% in the next 10 years. Think about that. Uh, and so what they're doing is they are trying to put their finger on the scales and when it comes to the enrollments uh, of their students, they're looking at the application saying, is this a male enrollment, is this a female? And they're choosing the male over the female just to get those numbers more balanced. But they have to do it in secret because if the news organizations got a hold of it, there would be a great cry of injustice. This is kind of the world we live in. If there's ever a time we need good fathers and an understanding of what it means to be a man, it's now. The Apostle Paul wasn't a father, uh, neither were any of the other apostles, at least that we don't know of them being any. Uh, basically, all of the examples in the Bible of fatherhood are bad examples. And you think about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, you know, the list goes on and on, and they're all men who ended up with terrible sons and daughters as a result of their terrible parenting. Uh, so, but the Bible does have, if you know where to look, good advice that men should follow and the rest of us should take notice of as well. Uh, the first thing that we notice when we turn to the scriptures is our Heavenly Father, God Almighty. He loves us with an everlasting love. It's unconditional. And he commands our worship. And he gave up his own son that we might 
have life. Now, that's the most powerful picture of what a father should be that I can think of. And so our minds should always shift in the direction or drift in the direction uh, of, of our Heavenly Father for an example to follow. But aside from our Heavenly Father, when we think of fatherhood, it's probably Paul's very brief instruction to the people of Ephesus that usually come to mind when we think about being a father. And so if you haven't already started turning there, please turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. And you're probably thinking chapter 6, but I want us to stop on our way there in chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Ephesians. Let's just pause for a second and ask the Lord to help us understand his word this morning. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, would, we, would you help us to see what you want us to see? Help us to see ourselves the way you want us to see us, as the way we really are. Lord, help us to see who you really are. Uh, uh, Lord, we ask that as we uh, look, that we would have the courage to see as in a mirror our faces and not to shrink back and to not go away forgetting what we look like, but to go away considering how you would have us be different. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 5, verse 15, it says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. I like the rendering of that phrase in NIV it says, that says, redeeming the time. And that is something that I am becoming more and more aware of. Uh, the time and the passing of time and how it seems to speed up the older you get. Uh, often I think of the sands of my lifetime, you know, kind of going through an hourglass. And it seems like the hole is getting wider and wider. Uh, when, I, when Amy and I first became parents, um, when we had Anna, I think we were like 23 years old. And people came up to us and they'd say things like, treasure this time with her because it's going to be gone before you know it. And I, I, I knew that they were right and I knew that was wise counsel, but I really didn't understand how to do that. And now all I can say to you is that, yes, it's true, it does. And so we must take every opportunity that we can. Uh, this is past week I spent time with my sister and husband and, and they have, uh, my sister's nine years younger than me. Uh, they have four boys under the age of 11. And they, uh, they are full of energy, full of curiosity, and they just go, 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 go all the time. And uh, I wanted to say to my sister, uh, treasure these moments because they're going to be fleeting moments. And even the time to say that flew by before I got to say it. But she, I know she knows that and she's doing very well. But I, I keep thinking like, you know, I live far away and the next time I see them, they're going to be so much bigger. And the next time after that, and they'll be teenagers and out of the house before, before we know it. Do you redeem the time you have with your loved ones? Do you use it well? 
Do you spend it doing things, saying things that really matter? Um, this past week, I spent time with my family in Pennsylvania visiting family, and, and um, it, it seemed like that time just f sped by so fast. Um, my parents, uh, we saw them on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then um, as uh, we were getting ready to leave them on, uh, on Wednesday, they said to me, uh, when you, because we, we had to drive past their house to come back home, and we had our camper, and, and, and uh, my dad said, when you get to the racetrack, uh, send me a text and let me know you're coming by. And so on, um, on, on Friday morning, as we uh, were getting near there, it was raining. And uh, so I sent my dad that text, and as we drove by their house, uh, there my parents were, standing out in the rain just to wave at us as we went by. Every last minute. Sorry. Um, every opportunity. Currently, 25% of American children are growing up in homes without fathers. Uh, I was standing at a, a baseball game on Tuesday night with uh, an old friend who I didn't even know who was going to be there and showed up, and uh, we were talking, and I told him that statistic, and he was like, really? That seems really low, actually. He actually thought the number should have been worse. And I said to him, I think I know why you think that it should be worse. Uh, because, uh, and I told him about some research that James Dobson did with focus on the family with a pretty good sample size of American dads. And uh, the question was asked these dads, how much time do you spend with your kids on a daily basis? And so they were self-reporting and they said that they spent an average of 15 to 20 minutes interacting with their kids every day. Now, I don't know if you, know, if you, if you think that that's a lot or a little. But researchers tend to, you know, not trust what people say when they self-report because they report with a positive bias. And so what they did is they put microphones on the kids who were uh, in this sample size. And they redid the research. And I want to quote to you the result of the research. They said that the, uh, when it came to actual parental interaction, that the average amount of daily time each dad spent with his kids was 37 seconds. An, ad an average of 2.7 daily encounters of 10 to 15 
seconds. You know what that tells me? Number one, obviously, we're not spending nearly enough time with our kids. Uh, and, And number two, it tells me that we think we're spending a lot more time than we really are with our kids. So when I say we should redeem the time, some of you might be here thinking, oh, I do well at that. Well, are you self-reporting with a positive bias? If you ask the other people in your house how much time that you spend with them, how much time would they report back to you? So we have to get better at this. We have to spend time together, and we have to spend good time with each other. Now, let's turn to the passage that you expected me to take us to in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read the first four verses. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are two things that are said in this brief instruction. One is negative, and the other is positive. And so we've got a clear distinction. We've got two, like two categories. There's category headings. And what I want to try to do this morning is to fill in some stuff that could fit into columns beneath those things. And first, since Paul does it, we're going to look at some of the negative things. It says here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, Warren Wiersbe notes that when children were born into the Greek and Roman society, that Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote, was he was writing into that cultural situation. The, 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 the normal and the, the regular uh, thing that, that was happening... Uh, was the, the parents, the, the fathers in particular, had almost an ironclad control over everything that happened in the family. And so when a child was born, the child would be brought out and laid before the father. And if the, and if the father picked up the child, it would be welcomed into the family. But if the father did not pick up the child for, for whatever reason, if he didn't like the look of the child or for, if he cried or if something and he didn't pick up the child, one of three things would happen. One, the child would be sold as a slave. The child would be given away or it would be left to die of exposure. That was the cultural moment that Paul was writing these words to. So this is an actually uh, culture-shifting, radical thing to say. We hear it in our culture, and, 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 it, and it doesn't have the same gravity as it did for the people that originally it was written to. So in this verse, Paul is placing restrictions on the authority of fathers and calling them to a higher standard than that of the world around them. And the word provoke here means to cause an involuntary reaction. And we're not to to cause this involuntary reaction of anger. The NIV translates this to exasperate, uh, which is to kind of uh, make somebody so frustrated or angry that they don't even know what to say. They, They can't even get words out. 
Now, there's a difference between this kind of response in children and the response of a spoiled child who's throwing a temper tantrum. Uh, Paul's not saying don't cause your kids to have a temper tantrum. If they have a temper tantrum, that's on the child. We, we, need, to, we need to try to work that out of them. A parent who gives in to tantrums reinforces bad behavior. and We shouldn't do that. But this is not the kind of thing that provoking is. Colossians 3.21, a parallel passage. Paul wrote that as well. and gives us a little bit of help here. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And the NASB translates it that they may not lose heart. And so, what kinds of things cause children to lose heart? What kinds of things can fathers do to provoke them, to make them discouraged. Well, in R. Kent Hughes' book, a very, very good book on being a father called Disciplines of a Godly Man, he gives us some examples, and I'd like to just go through those uh, here this morning. If you're taking notes, the first of those is that we can provoke our children through criticism. Now, this isn't the constructive kind of criticism. This is the destructive kind of criticism. Now, when I was in Little League, there were several boys that I encountered through the years in Little League who had fathers that would stand in in the dugout or in the bleacher, and they would yell at their boys, and they would run them down, and they would call them names, and they would get very angry at them, and the and, and those, those kids didn't last long in Little League. They would quit. Now, students with critical fathers are the kinds of kids that never hear a kind or encouraging word. Um, their fathers don't praise anything they work on because the work in their minds is never done well enough. Uh, Men, we live in a culture of participation trophies and fragile egos. We need to train our children to rise up and develop tough skin, the ability to handle criticism, to have fortitude, but it's not done best by running them down all the time. So, if your child brings to you a finger painting... Find something in that unintelligible picture to praise. Offer some suggestions for improvement next time, maybe. But the thing that's going to stick with them, the thing that's going to inspire them, the thing that's going to move them to try harder isn't your criticism. It's going to be them showing or highlighting what they, or you highlighting what they did well. The, the second thing that he mentions is over-strictness. Now, if you're, over, if you're a controlling person, this is going to frustrate everybody in your family, but it's going to drive your kids crazy. Uh, children are like a wet bar of soap. If you squeeze it too tightly, what's going to happen? It's going to shoot out. Now, what happens if you squeeze it too loosely? It just falls out. And so we need to have a gentle and a firm grip 
on our children. Not too tight, not too soft. And it takes, it's, it's an art to learn how to do that. And you're going to make mistakes. And I know I have. One of my kids is sitting in here right now. He could probably tell you. But I've had many conversations with teenagers over the years who tell me that they don't want to have anything to do at all with the Bible. Why? Because the only relationship that they have with the Bible in their home is from their parents using it, especially their fathers, as a way to manipulate and to control them and to browbeat them. Do you want your kids to love the Word of God? Use it to inspire them, not to control them. Thirdly, irritability. Now, this is about that mood you bring home from work. Uh, how far do you live from your job? So for some of you, that's a good long ways. Some of it's pretty close. And nowadays, maybe this is not a good thing, but nowadays, some of us work from home, whether we have an office in our home, and now with technology, now we have bringing more, more work home. Our emails are right there on our phones from work. And it's very easy to allow the lines to blur. And so, you know, it used to be that a father could jump in the car and spend the time driving home, decompressing from all the things that happened at work. So by the time they got home, they were in a better frame of mind and they could walk through the door and everything could be, be not. But it's harder now. It's harder. And so, do your kids come to the door when you arrive? Now, if you have teenagers, of course that doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't know when it exactly that changes, but at some point it does. And, and that's okay. It's just the way life goes. But I, I, I do know that there are kids that run and hide when their dads get home. And that's because they're irritable when... Uh, when, they, when they arrive. So try to leave that in its proper place. Try to work through those things so you can be positive. And, and I, I need to work on this area. I know I do. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to separate those things. Fourthly, inconsistency. And this is one of the worst. Uh, be consistent in your expectations that you have for your kids and in discipline. It's exasperating for children when they get disciplined for rules that they didn't know existed. And parents you know, must be on the same page with each other, husbands and wives, when it comes to the rules and expectations that you have. Don't make promises unless you intend to keep them. Fifty years from now, your kids will not remember your reason for breaking the promise. All they will remember is that you broke it. Finally then, favoritism. And this is one of the most famous sins of the fathers in the Old Testament. Think of uh, Isaac, for example. His favorite son was 
Esau. Why was that? I don't know exactly. But it seems to me that Isaac had more in common with Esau than he did with Jacob. Esau was kind of an outdoorsy guy, rough and tumble, maybe kind of more of a man's man, kind of manly kind of thing. And, and Jacob was more like the kid who would stay inside all day and play video games. Um, but Jacob, or I'm sorry, uh, Isaac favored uh, Esau so much that I think uh, Rachel, his wife, tried to, to, uh, um, tried to compensate for that. Um, and so then Jacob learned all these bad habits and he favored Ben and Joe over the rest of the boys and they got a lot of favoritism and it tore apart their families, tore them apart. So don't be caught being a dad who shows favoritism. Now, that doesn't mean you treat every one of your kids exactly alike. I will be the first to tell you that you have to parent each child a little differently because they are different. Some of your kids need a firmer hand and some of them not so much. Don't let yourself slide into this because you have some kids that you relate to better. Now, if you're like me, you feel pretty much at home, uh, maybe in the woods or on a sports field or, or something like that. I had to learn to enjoy going to the butterfly garden and going to the clay pot decorating store. All right, but those are important things to learn to do. So what's on the other side of the coin? That's what not to do. Don't uh, criticize. Don't be over strict. Don't be irritable. Don't be inconsistent. And don't show favoritism. But Paul goes on and he says, But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first thing we see here relates to the, the discipline or bringing them up in the discipline. And there, there's, it's hard to translate into English what all is meant here in the original Greek language. There's a tenderness in here. There's a flavor of tenderness that's hard to pull out, but it's there. When I was in high school, the grunge rock band Pearl Jam came out with a song called Jeremy. It's kind of ironic for me because that's the name of my brother. Uh, and it was, it was a story. A lot of their songs were stories. It was an angry song about a boy that says, whose daddy didn't give affection. And he turned into a monster and went on a rampage in his school. And it was patterned, the uh, lead singer of the band said that it was about a boy that he knew and he thought was a common tale that a lot of people would relate to. And I remember listening to that song when I was a kid and thinking how, how, how fortunate I was that, that my father excelled in this area. My dad uh, was and still is somebody who shows great affection to his kids and I'm so grateful for that. And some fathers shy away from that because they either didn't learn how to do that or they watched too many cowboy movies 
and they really think men don't show any kind of affection, so they're not going to show any to their kids. Well, don't, that's, I'm telling you, nobody's more manly when they're giving their kids hugs, when they're speaking kindly to them, when they're showing affection to them. So what kind of song would your kids write about you? Interesting question, right? The second thing that we are to do as fathers is to bring them up in discipline. Now, this word discipline here is used three times in the New Testament. And probably the most famous to you is in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's talking about using the word of God to, uh, and, and it has a training function, right? The word is used, translated training in Hebrews 12, which if we have time for this morning, I might get to that. But it's used there for a corrective discipline, to change the direction the child is going in. And all of this is necessary for good parenting so that children will, as Proverbs says, grow up and, and they will go in the correct direction. Now, when I talk to couples who come to me for premarital counseling, we don't talk a lot about raising children. But there, is, uh, there are a few areas where we will kind of uh, uh, talk about some general concepts. And one of the things I stress is the issue of who should be the disciplinarian. So I'll ask them this question uh, to the people sitting across from me. Which one of you should be the disciplinarian? What answer do you think I'm looking for? It's kind of a trick question. Because I'm not looking for one of them to point at the other. I'm looking for them to realize that uh, parents should both be involved in the discipline of children. So when it comes to, to bringing children up in discipline, this is not just the job of fathers though fathers do tend to abdicate this responsibility to mothers, which is wrong, it's something that should be shared. Uh, there are many parents who subtly wish to be the favorite. Uh, they're happy to kind of sit back and let the other be the disciplinarian so they can s steal the affections of the children. That's so wrong. It's so damaging to the family structure. But fathers, you ultimately, according to the text, are responsible to make sure that your children are raised with sound discipline. Now, we could talk about disciplining kids for hours and hours and hours, but we don't have time for that. Uh, if you are looking for help in this area, I recommend two books. For younger children, I would recommend James Dobson's Dare to Discipline, the updated version. And then for teenagers, I would uh, recommend Age of Opportunity by Paul David Tripp. Excellent resources for tracking with your children through their growing up years. All right, finally, the third thing here. It says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does he mean by that? Well, the instruction here refers to increasing understanding through intentional steps. 
one of the things that's frustrated me as uh, a person in youth ministry in the church for many years is what I would cons- call the kind of the drop-off culture that has developed. You know, it used to be in, in former generations that kids basically learned how to do most everything that you need to do to survive in life at home. Uh, their parents took it on themselves and, uh, as their own personal responsibility to develop character in their kids' lives, to teach them life skills, to teach them how to treat other people, to try to instruct them how to work hard, and, to, uh, and all of those kinds of things were taught in the home. Uh, if somebody was going to learn how to throw a baseball, it would be them out in the yard with dad or fishing or whatever it is that was being taught. Parents would kind of consider that to be their responsibility to pass that along to their kids. Now, with the drop-off culture, we outsource everything. And we do very little in our houses and our families anymore by way of instruction All we do is kind of just be and relate to each other and, you know, and do other things. And one of the sad inclusions in that list of things that have been outsourced is Christian education. We outsource it to the church. Uh, But notice that this instruction that's given here is to parents. It's to fathers. And as Jay read to us, today, uh, the text from Deuteronomy, that instruction to talk about and instruct our children is a, is a responsibility of parents. And so do not abdicate your responsibility. Don't outsource it. Don't shop it around. Take it uh, as a personal uh, job for, for you to pass along the faith. Instruct your children Teach them, help them to understand and not just know facts, but to be able to apply it to the things that they do in life. So, those are the things that I would highlight from the text this morning and and, uh, add by way of examples. So, I want to just ask in conclusion, how do we know if we're doing well? How do we know if we need some improvement? Well, we could just go and ask our families. But that's way too scary. So let me just give you some things that you can, like, just kind of self-process. And if you do have the courage, I think it would be good to have some conversations in home as well. Um, First, do your children want to spend time with you? If you sense that they do, this is good. That's a good thing. Uh, if you sense that they don't, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. You might be asking yourself, why? Might I be exasperating them? Might I be provoking them in some way listed here? Uh, the video at the beginning, right? The girl that's embarrassed all the time of her dad. I love that video because I think it's important. I think it's a responsibility of dads to embarrass their kids. So do that. In good ways, though, not in bad ways, like the boys on the Little League baseball teams. Those kids were so embarrassed 
and so run down. Don't be that kind of parent. Now, I do have a little of time, so I want to have us turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This is so good. Uh, I didn't notice this. I've read Hebrews 12 so many times, and I noticed this in conjunction with the discipline uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. And I wanted to show how this ties in because there are uh, three outworkings of good discipline that are mentioned here. And so if you want to know whether you're bringing your children up well in the discipline of the Lord, you can look for these three things in your life and in the life of your family. Look at verse 9. It says this, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. And what's the result of that? We respected them for it. Now, I don't know a man alive today who doesn't want respect. In fact, that uh, Aretha Franklin song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me, that was written by a man. She just made it famous. There isn't a man alive today that I think wants respect. I don't think we should be bringing our children up in discipline for selfish motives to, to, so that they will respect for our own egos. That's not what is being said here. But if we're bringing our children up well, they will respect us in the best way possible. And the respect will be earned and not just demanded. Now look at verse 11. It says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's that corrective discipline that I was mentioning before. But later it yields, it says, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Is there peace in your home? If there is, there's a good chance that you're doing the discipline well. But if there's constant war and battle in your home between your kids, with your kids, your other kids, between parents and kids, and just everybody at war with everybody, there's a chance that something in this list is, is, is amiss. You need to do some evaluating and maybe even need to get some counsel and some help. Because these things are not easily learned. And for so many of us, we've had such bad examples growing up. We're only uh, living out what we've been taught. And we've been taught wrong along the way. And it's hard. The third thing that I notice here is that there's righteousness that results from sound discipline. Is there righteousness in your home? Right living according to God's principles. If there is, good job. If there's not, there may be work to do. Now, I want to just say to those of you who can get really down on yourselves, um, I remember being in the car going to a conference many years ago with two much older men who had grown children. They each had three grown children. And both of them were in the same exact situation. Two of the children that they had 
in each case. We're missionaries. So 66% of their kids grew up and became missionaries. And the third child became an atheist. Isn't that fascinating? And I asked them about that. And, uh, and I don't know if I, I, I tried not to come off across as condescending or cocky or anything like that because I didn't even, I, my kids weren't even old enough to, you know, know anything about all this stuff. But um, they said that they tried to raise their kids all with the same principles, the same home environment, the same rules, the same, the same kind of character and everything else. And some kids just respond differently than others. And I wanted to disagree with them and I wanted to fire back at them. But the proverb says that if you raise uh, a child the way you should go, he will not depart from it. So you must have done something wrong. And maybe they did. But the Proverbs are there to give us best case practices. It's not hard and fast rules. So if you are sitting here today and you have children that are, your, your relationships with them are struggling, don't, I, I, I see it over and over again, parents take on too much blame for their child, children's problems and too much credit for the things that they do well. All right? And that child agrees with me. I could tell. The timing was perfect. Actually, the child is telling me that it's time to be done. So I'm going to land the plane. Um, Men, mothers, grandparents, children, everybody in the room, our windows of opportunity are shrinking. The sands are falling through the hourglass. We have less time left. What are we going to do with it? I was speaking to somebody after the service, the first service this morning, and we were talking about how it's easy to look back with regret. Uh, ways that we didn't do our parent, or kids any favors, uh, where, we, where we made parenting mistakes, and I too have felt those, um, but I said this past Friday, I was driving back from Pennsylvania, so I had a lot of time to just think, and I, my mind kept going back to things that I wish I had done different. I wish, I wish, I would. and all of these regrets kept coming up, and I had to stop myself, and I had to remember what the scripture says, and it says, your mercies are new every morning, and all we can do is work with the day that we have. Yeah, we make mistakes, but God's grace is there for the day that we're in. And God's grace is there for all our tomorrows. And if we will re-engage, if we will continue to pray, parenting from our knees, and look to apply the principles of God's word, uh, the jury's still out on all of us, especially our kids. So let's keep after it, and let's continue to take up this mantle and do our very best with the ones in our life that God has given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being such a good example to us of what a father should be. 
And I know there are people in the room this morning that are, are mourning the loss of fathers. And they feel that ache and that, that absence, that hole. And I feel for them and I pray for them. And Lord, I pray also for those who feel that uh, they might be in a situation where they've been abandoned by their fathers. And help them to remember that you, their Heavenly Father, will never, never leave them nor forsake them. And Lord, for all of us, regardless of what we came in with this morning and what we hope to leave with as a result, I pray that you would Continue to shower your grace into our lives. Um, you know that we are frail. And Lord, that we are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But these words that you have written to us last forever. Help us to cling to them. And help us to try to apply them daily. In Jesus' name, amen.